0: guys this is nurse mo and welcome back to the straight a nursing podcast I am super excited about today's episode this is number 151 and today we're talking about benzodiazepines before we jump into that though I do want to take a quick moment for our listener shout out and thank junica for writing in and saying this I wanted to let you know how thankful I was when I found your podcast I have been listening to them this this past semester, and I know I will continue to do so. You helped me understand hard concepts, and just listening to your voice and some of the advice motivated me to continue to do better and not to give up when things get harder. So, Junica, thank you so much for writing in. You are the one that's doing all the hard work, so I am so proud of you. Keep going, girl, and let us know when you graduate and when you get that. License. Okay, you guys, so one of the most common and often prescribed drug classes is that of benzodiazepines. In fact, we use them so much, we shorten it and just say benzos. I mean, benzodiazepines, that's six syllables. You don't have time for that. So if you hear someone say benzos, they're talking about benzodiazepines. They are one of many classes of medications that depress the central nervous system. Some others include barbiturates, opioids, and sedatives slash hypnotics. So when you're studying drugs in your pharmacology class, you've probably noticed, or if you haven't yet, you certainly will, that there are pharmacologic classes and there are therapeutic therapeutic classes. So benzodiazepine is the pharmacologic class, you could also see them referred to by their therapeutic class. And what this simply means is that drugs are classified this way by the therapy that they provide. So for benzodiazepines, you may see them therapeutically classified as anticonvulsants, muscle relaxants, anti-anxiety agents, and sedatives slash hypnotics. So how do they do all of this? How do benzodiazepines work? So benzodiazepines work by depressing the central nervous system. And they do that by potentiating the effects of GABA, G-A-B-A. That GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So think about this, you guys. If we are enhancing something that inhibits, what are we doing? We're putting on the brakes, right? We're enhancing that inhibitory action. So not only are we stepping on the brakes, we're slamming on the brakes. If we were to antagonize an inhibitory transmitter, then we're doing the opposite, right? We'd be stepping on the gas. But in the case of benzodiazepines, we are potentiating the effects of GABA, an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So... We're putting on the brakes on the central nervous system. So why would we do that? What are some common benzodiazepines and what are they used for? So one of the first things you'll notice is that most benzos end in the letters A-M. Not all of them, but most of them. So if you have a drug and it ends in A-M, look at it, see if it sparks your memory. It could be a benzodiazepine. Of course, the first one I'm going to mention Chlordiazepoxide, or Librium, that one doesn't end in AM. That was one of the first benzodiazepines along with diazepam, also known as Valium. Some other really common ones you'll see are Alprazolam, which is Xanax brand name, Lorazepam, which goes by brand name Ativan, and Midazolam, which goes by brand name said and in the clinical setting sometimes we call it medazzle because we use it a lot to sedate patients and it's just magical. So a little bit of medazzle is sometimes what the patient needs, right? So regardless of which benzo that you're using, they all act the same way and have the same adverse effects. The key difference is the onset of action and how long they exert their influence. So for example, the fastest acting is medazolam, where... Whereas halazepam, also known as Paxipam, that one takes up to three hours to reach its maximum effect. And then diazepam and alprazolam, when they're taken PO, have an onset of about 60 minutes, but can last up to 24 hours hours. Another really common one, lorazepam, lasts about 12 hours when taken by mouth. So it's really important to know which benzodiazepine your patient is taking so that you kind of know how long they're going to need to be monitored for adverse effects. So benzodiazepines are indicated in a lot of different conditions and are somewhat specific to the purpose for their use. So for example, the benzos that you might use for someone who has insomnia are likely going to be different than those used for someone with generalized anxiety disorder. So Let's go through a few of these. Now, these are not hard and fast rules. The MD, MD can prescribe whatever benzodiazepine they want, and some may work better for other people, but just know this is a general guide, okay? So insomnia, very common to use temazepam, brand name Restoril. Easy to remember, right? Rest. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to rest. So this one has an onset of 30 minutes, so a fast onset, and a duration of six to eight hours. So to me, that sounds like it's perfect for sleeping. So temazepam, other name, Restoril, often used for insomnia, help patients sleep. In the anxiety area, we're looking at lorazepam, which is Ativan, or diazepam, which is Valium, as two of the most common. And then for panic disorder, you may see alprazolam, which is Xanax, or clonazepam, which is clonopin, okay? And then for seizures, the most common one that I've seen for an anticonvulsant, and anticonvulsant indication is diazepam, which is Valium, but you may also see lorazepam and chlorazepate, which is also another one that does not end in AM, chlorazepate, and its brand name is trancine. And then muscle relaxant, so diazepam is often used as a muscle relaxant, that's Valium again. And then in anesthesia, we use midazolam a lot, which is Versed, and you could see lorazepam or diazepam, but I, I never have. I've only seen midazolam used to induce anesthesia to be used during anesthesia, but just know that you could see the others and then in alcohol withdrawal, really, really common to see chlordiazepoxide. That's that Librium. Remember that first one, that old school benzodiazepine. And Librium is dosed based off something called the CIWA score. C I W-A. And this score measures the severity of the alcohol withdrawal symptoms. So there'll be like a sliding scale. If their score is this to this, they get this much librium. If their score is this to this, they get this much. And you can learn a lot more about caring for patients going through alcohol withdrawal. If you check out Episode 75, where I talk all about how to take care of patients going through alcohol withdrawal with compassion, grace, and an eye out for their safety at all times. So again, a quick recap of some of the things that benzodiazepines are used to treat. I knew I was going to stumble over all these hard words and saying benzodiazepine about 500 times is probably going to uh, make me a little bit tongue-tied. So reviewing some of the indications, insomnia, anxiety, panic disorder, seizures used for muscle relaxant, that one I see a lot in the... Uh, after surgery, we have patients that undergo really, really extensive back surgeries and those muscle spasm, and it's incredibly painful. So we use Valium for that. It's used in anesthesia, and they're used to treat the symptoms of alcohol withdrawal. Okay, so anytime you have a medication that is a CNS depressant, there is potential for abuse. So, benzodiazepines are a schedule four controlled substance. So, it's definitely not something that people can just go to Rite Aid and pick up, right? it's definitely going to be very well controlled. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, according to American addiction centers, alprazolam, which is Xanax, is one of the most addictive of the benzos. And the risk for that alprazolam addiction is going to go up, it's going to be higher in individuals who are taking more than like four milligrams a day for 12 or more weeks. However, really, really important that you understand that anyone who is abusing medications such as benzodiazepines is at really, really high risk for addiction. Okay, so I mentioned that regulated controlled substance thing a moment ago. As a regulated substance or a controlled substance, there are a few guidelines about benzodiazepines that you'll notice when you're working in the clinical setting. So for starters, let's say you've got a patient and you're going to go get him his Ativan out of the Pyxis machine or whatever your facility uses Every time you go to the machine and you want to get a benzodiazepine or any other controlled substance, you have to count the number of vials, packets, pills, whatever in that drawer every single time. Okay, so we are controlling, we're watching the counts of that. And I'll tell you, you guys, if the count is off and it can't be figured out or accounted for, it is a big, big, big deal, okay. I heard about a nurse once who had gotten a, I think it was a bag of something like versed or something like fentanyl. I can't remember. It was a controlled substance out of the Pyxis, right? And then I think they took it to the bedside and didn't hang it up right away. I can't remember the exact details of the story, but a it went missing. Okay. So they think maybe a family member took it and I am not kidding you, the uh, DEA showed up to interview this nurse. It was a really, really big deal. So anyway, we control these very carefully. They're counted every time you take a medication out of the machine. And then let's say your Ativan came in a one milligram pill and your order was to give 0.5 milligrams. That's pretty common. So you're going to have to account for that other 0.5 milligrams, you do something we called wasting, you have to waste or throw out into the medication, bin that other 0.5 milligram, that other half of the tablet in the presence of another licensed individual. And then they also dual sign that waste in the Pixis or whatever machine that you are using. Okay, so that is just a little bit of how tightly controlled these things are in the clinical setting. And we could talk a whole other podcast about what hospitals do to decrease diversion. And diversion is when nurses or other healthcare providers divert medication and basically are taking it away from the hospital and diverting it to their own use. And it's way more common than you guys think. And we can talk a lot about that at another time because it's really interesting. And the things that you can do to maybe spot diversion in a coworker so that you can help them. Okay, the, the key with diversion is the general attitude is not one of a punitive nature, it's more like we want to get these people help because they have an addiction and they need help and we don't want them working impaired. So we'll talk about diversion at another time. The other key thing that you'll notice with this controlled substance and any controlled substance is that if the patient has a prescription, they're only going to get, you know, a, a smallish number at any given time. Okay, so that brings up the question is, Is tolerance the same as addiction or abuse? So you're going to hear the term tolerance a lot when you're working with patients, especially when you're talking about medications, especially when they're used long-term, and those medications are things like opioids or benzodiazepines. So tolerance occurs when the individual requires higher and higher doses of a medication in order for it to produce a physiological effect. It's a very common issue with medications that act on the central nervous system. So just because someone's physical body has developed a physiological tolerance to a medication does not mean that they are addicted or they are abusing the substance, okay? I just want you to be very aware of that. So let's talk a little bit about some guidelines for safe Benzodiazepine administration. So before you give a benzo, you want to assess the patient for any contraindications. So that could be low blood pressure, that could be decreased level of consciousness, sleep apnea which can cause, you know, set the patient up for a respiratory uh, distress and angle closure glaucoma. Those are just a few. There are others. For a complete list, of course, always refer to your reference that you use. I love Davis Drug Guide. The online reference is just phenomenal. I could not get by without it. You'll also want to uh, use benzos very cautiously in a whole bunch of circumstances, such as COPD, maybe if the patient has severe renal or uh, hepatic impairment, history of suicidal ideation or a suicidal attempt. If they have a concurrent substance abuse disorder, or if they're taking other things that depress the central nervous system, or if they have, um, if they are of an advanced age, as we as we say, you'll often hear the phrase "start low and go slow." That's what we say when we're talking about a lot about medication administration and dosing with geriatric patients. So benzos are also used very cautiously in children. And the only time I've ever seen them used in children is as that anti-convulsant indication. And if you guys are at all interested in this topic, it just made me think of it. The book, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down is an excellent, excellent book that talks about a a Hmong child with severe, severe epilepsy and... I just remembered as I was reading that book, I learned about the use of Valium as an anticonvulsant as I was reading that book, though the book is about the cultural divide in our healthcare system. It's absolutely fascinating reading, and it really opens your eyes up to um, the importance of cultural sensitivity, cultural inquiry when you're working with patients from other cultures. Okay, so back to our safe administration discussion. Most benzodiazepines are PO medications, with some given IV in the clinical setting. Diazepam, which is Valium, can be given as a suppository, which is a a common method for patients who are having seizures who don't have IV access. It's, you know, a lot of times at home, maybe that's how they administer the anticonvulsant or if you're in the clinical setting, they don't have an IV for some reason and it's really hard to put an IV in someone who's in a grand mal seizure. So um, giving it in that manner could be what you do. So your assessment when you are administering benzodiazepines include things like the two big ones I would say are monitor respiratory status and monitor neurological status. So Respiratory-wise, benzos can reduce respiratory drive in some people, especially those with sleep apnea, and exacerbate the respiratory depression of opioids. So be very, very careful when giving benzos along with opioids. It's not that we don't do it. We're just very, very careful with that, with a lot of very, very close monitoring. Snoring, if your patient, you know, you give your patient some IV volume and now they're snoring, that's not something to just be brushed off like, oh, wow, Bob's snoring over there. No, snoring is a partial airway obstruction. So that patient's um, airway needs to be repositioned or they may need something like an OPA. You'll also monitor neurological status. So you're observing their level of consciousness because benzodiazepines are central nervous system depressants, especially when, you know, given a very high dose or when taken in conjunction with another CNS depressant like an opioid. Can even occur when taking something like diphenhydramine, which as an antihistamine causes that drowsiness. So just be very aware of the other medications that your patient is receiving. And if mom is taking benzos while pregnant, the baby will need to be monitored for, I believe it's a few weeks, maybe even longer for signs of benzodiazepine withdrawal. Okay, so we've gotten our benzodiazepines. Let's say you're working in a clinic or the patient's going home, but they're being prescribed some Valium for their back spasms and their back pain, and you want to do some really good patient teaching Around that. So, some key factors to include in your patient teaching for benzos are avoid alcohol while taking this medication, okay? You'd be surprised. You'd think that would go without saying, but it doesn't. You have to say it. They should also avoid other CNS depressants unless prescribed by their physician to take them together. It's not uncommon for patients to be prescribed. Uh, you know, like a Norco and a Valium at low doses, but only do that if that is exactly how they are prescribed by the physician. The medication does not treat the underlying anxiety disorder if that's why the patient is taking it. So just make sure they know that this is not a cure for your underlying disorder. It's going to help you with your symptoms. So they may need other tactics for managing and addressing their underlying anxiety disorder. The moms who are breastfeeding should avoid breastfeeding while taking benzos because they can make baby too drowsy and definitely make baby sometimes so drowsy that they don't feed well. So not to be used with lactation. And here's a big one, you guys. Avoid abrupt discontinuation. If benzos are used for a period of time, and I think that can vary based on the individual, and if they are used habitually, stopping them cold turkey, stopping them abruptly is very dangerous. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let your patient know that if they are taking them for a long period of time, they're going to taper off of the medication in coordination with their prescribing individual. So let's dive into some of the adverse effects of benzodiazepines. So the most common ones, because it is a CNS depressant, the most common side effects are going to be CNS related. That includes drowsiness, lethargy, and dizziness. And anytime a medication causes those things, especially the dizziness, I want you to think fall risk, okay? You want to do everything you can to keep your patients nice and safe. Be aware that with rapid IV infusion, benzos can cause cardiac arrest and severe uh, respiratory uh, depression, apnea. So be very, very careful when you're giving these through an IV. So what are... the signs of withdrawal, okay? So your patient's going to be coming off the benzos or wants to quit them. So the reason you want your patient to taper off the benzos is because of that risk for some pretty significant withdrawal symptoms. And those are gonna be exacerbated and much worse if they stop cold turkey, if they stop abruptly. So these symptoms include headache, restlessness, insomnia, nausea, severe abdominal discomfort or abdominal pain, light and sound sensitivity, muscle twitches, fatigue, and even seizures. Okay, so pretty sure that seizure thing will be a test question, you guys. I'm pretty sure it was for me. So if you've listened to my psychopharmacology podcast episode which is an oldie. It's episode 13. So go back and check that out if you're struggling with psychopharmacology. But one of the things that I do in that episode, and I also have an accompanying blog post about it with, I, I think, even something you can download. I'm not, I'm not entirely 100% sure, but I think so, is I made up goof goofy, goofy stories, you guys. And these goofy stories helped me remember the side effect profiles of these psychopharmacological agents, because there's a lot of them. And that's one of the reasons why psychopharmacology is so challenging. And I knew I needed a way to keep them all straight. So I made up really goofy stories that helped me. Maybe it will help you. So I'm going to share the one that I wrote about benzodiazepines with you and kind of how this works. So I pulled out the key, you know, um, element about the benzodiazepines that I needed to know for my exams, the things that I was struggling with remembering, and I worked them into a story about Benzo the Clown, okay? And then as it's written... I've got those key words in bold. So visually, I'm clued in that that's the element of this silly story that gives me a hint about the benzodiazepine uh, side effects. Okay, so the goofy story is this. Benzo the clown, like most clowns, was very tolerant of small children. Though, truth be told, they made him extremely tired. One day, he decided to stop seeing the children completely. I'm done with this headache, he said. But once he got home, he realized he missed the kids, and he stayed up all night thinking about them. The next day, he skipped breakfast, which made him feel dizzy, but he didn't care. He ran so fast to see the kids that he got dizzy, fell down, hit his head, and had a seizure. So, The key words from that silly little story are that he was tolerant of small children, right? Tolerance can develop. Uh, The children made him extremely tired. A side effect is fatigue. He said he was going to stop seeing the children. Well, that's because abrupt stopping can cause problems and we don't want to do that. He said, I'm done with this headache, That's because if you stop abruptly, one of the side effects of that is headache. When he uh, was missing the kids, he stayed up all night thinking about them. That's because stopping abruptly can cause insomnia and a lack of appetite. He skipped breakfast the next day and he got dizzy, hit his head, and had a seizure, which would be the worst thing that could happen from that abrupt uh, stopping of the medication. So maybe that will help you. Maybe you think I'm just, um, you know, I have too much time on my hands. But that's how I remembered the side effect profile for psychopharmacology. So I help that that helps you understand this common class of medications and that you feel more confident the next time you see one on an exam or in the clinical setting. So I will see you guys back here next week where we will be diving into sinus rhythm. So if you're interested in learning more about that, then come back next week and I'll see you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.